I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest is Dominic Trainer. Dominic comes to us from London, England. He is the son of two primary school teachers. For years, he tried to avoid being the teacher like the plague. But in the end, the teaching life won out. Dom is the education evangelist for Adobe, helping teachers bring learning to life. He is the founder of Lit. Film Fest, and he is the author of recently published Literacy Beyond the Classroom. Dom, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Yeah, all good, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for the intro. That's uh, <laughs> that's a big intro for a British person. <laughs> I love it. Dom, you work at uh, at Adobe as an education evangelist. Uh, what does that job entail? Yeah, so it's quite a sort of fancy title, isn't it, really? Um, I guess, you know, if you boil it down to its, you know, really simple um, sort of basic roots, it's, you know, I'm a teacher who goes in to schools and helps teachers bring teaching alive. And that is using, you know, digital skills, using technology, but really, you know, using creativity. That's the big thing that we're focused Mm. on. I think, um, you know, whether you're using digital tools or not, one of the things that certainly the adobe education evangelist team is really really focused on is how do we bring creativity to the fore you know that is you know particularly in these kind of times we're living in at the moment we can really see you know how creativity needs to play a huge role in how we shape the future because there's lots of you know interesting dynamics at play at the moment and creativity is one of the main skills that's not not that will not only get us out of or you know help us improve on these situations get us to the next step but also it's the it's the very thing that you know business owners CEOs are looking for so that is that's my main role and I do a lot of teacher training do a lot of student workshops um, creating resources Uh, I used to do a lot of conferences (laughs) not so much anymore but uh, you know write a lot of articles you know both for sort of inside Adobe and also for external media and magazines and you know podcasts like yours for example and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of social media involved, which is, you know, which I I personally find quite tough, you know, that I, I'm much more of a purist, but I understand, you know, the social media game is a big one now for teachers. It's a very, very strong presence of teachers. So that's, that's also, you know, a big part of my role. Um, but yeah, certainly, you know, at the moment when school visits aren't happening, 
it's there's a lot of work going on now around uh, video tutorials or video study aids you know things that can help learners to you know engage with um, study at home work independently effectively and it's it's been really interesting because it's always something that I've I've done anyway but now that I do it so much more now than I ever used to it's really got me thinking about you know how we learn how we do that most effectively and you know what what we can do in this situation right now to make learning come alive while we're in this kind of hmm. you know more isolated state yeah you you highlighted creativity what what are some tools that adobe has that really helps facilitate that creativity for students yeah, so you know, at the risk of sounding like an advert here, you know, Adobe, <laughs> <laughs> Adobe Spark is massive, and that was mm-hmm. one. Of, that's that's the reason why I transitioned over to Adobe. You know, we were using um, Adobe Spark really, really heavily in the classroom, and I had been, you know, going around different schools um, in in the business that I was running, which is Lit Film Fest, as you mentioned before, and we were doing that for five or six years, going to different schools. And in all honesty, you know, it wasn't it wasn't that easy to get schools turned on to using digital media. You know, some schools were, you know, using Apple devices and so they had access to iMovie, but they found that, you know, slightly out of reach. You know, certainly younger students seem to find that quite difficult or, you know, maybe the teachers themselves, I think, probably was more the case that they found it a, a little bit out of their reach. And we were constantly sort of coming up against um, you know, barriers or hurdles that schools were putting in place. And and really, Adobe Spark took a lot of those barriers away and really, you know, helped, you know, bring that sort of, you know, video editing into the classroom, an element of, you know, web presentations or web page design and also graphic design. And that was a huge, huge reason why I made the leap over to Adobe. And, and Spark has been an absolute godsend I found in schools. Mm-hmm. You know, and and actually the, you know, we had um, a meeting yesterday about, you know, the evolution of Spark and that is just going to be insane. It's going to be another level. So interesting times, you know, with Adobe tools. They're definitely the thing that I wish I'd have had when I was in the classroom. Yeah, well, I, I can't let you get off too easy with that. So uh, you said there's a, a lot in the in the planning with Adobe Spark. Are you able to share any of the, the things that might be coming out in the near future? Yeah, I'm going to have to be really careful here because I'm not <laughs> entirely sure what I can and can't say. But all I would say is that um, the if you if any teachers out there have got experience of Adobe Spark and just how easy it is to use, well, you know, Adobe Adobe Spark is made up of you know three mm-hmm. kind of apps, if you like, and it's Spark Video, Spark Post, and Spark Page. Um, but actually, the way that they're going to interact with each other in the future is going to, future is going to be so much more seamless. So that, you know, you'll be able to, you know, work on video editing within a page, within a post with, you know, graphic design merging with, uh, you know, traditional writing, merging with uh, video editing, all happening sort of in this one kind of mind blowing space, which is really cool. Yeah, that's that's going to be exciting. And, and I appreciate the, the level of work that Adobe Spark helps produce. It's it's super high quality. And in thinking about that. What are some examples of uh, that you've seen, maybe personally, or that you could envision that Adobe Spark can help students be creative? Yeah, I mean, I this is a, this is a, basically the meat of my work. You know, how do mm-hmm. they? What do they use, and how do they do it? And one of the things 
Um, you know, the power of reading is a really big thing, uh, you know, for teachers everywhere. You know, they know, you know, how powerful reading is, but they also know that, um, you know, reading in that traditional sense is probably less, well, certainly statistically less popular than it's ever been. And we also know how powerful, you know, just the act of reading is on the academic achievements of children. And one of the things that is really interesting is seeing how, uh, you know, tools like Spark, for example, can actually push students to read more offline using mm. those digital tools. So, for example, you know, we work a lot with schools who want to produce video book reviews. And so you're saying, well, you know, we understand that, you know, statistically, if you go into a school and say, what do you want to be when you grow up? The number one answer in both the UK and the US. Do you know what it is? No. YouTuber, statistically. Yeah. That is the number one answer. And so the really interesting thing is, is when, when you've got children who have that as their kind of, you know, their motivation or their, you know, the thing that sort of really lights them up, how do you, how do you motivate them to read offline? And one of the things that Spark has been really good at, and we've tested it in loads of different schools, is saying, okay, so what we want you to do is we want you to read a book so that then you can make your YouTube-style video book review, mm. which then also you can uh, you know, create your own book cover, for example, using Spark Post. You can create mm. a poster with a QR code into your video of your new book cover as a, as a kind of... Um, in the display you might use in school so that people could come down with an iPad, for example, and, uh, you know, check out the QR code, watch your video review, decide if they're going to do that. And it's kind of that melting pot between, um, you know, the digital world and the offline reading world and how those two things can really, you know, complement each other. Because one of the things that I find with teachers, and I guess, you know, you're a technology teacher yourself, and you will, you'll, you'll no doubt see this, that some teachers are really anti-tech and they really don't like that side of things. And one of the things that I'm really, really passionate about is, is trying to get um, you know, people to see that it's not one or the other. You don't go either traditional or digital. You should be doing the best of traditional and the best of digital. And those technology tools like Spark, for example, can make those things happen in such an easy and simple way that it's sort of a dream for the teachers themselves because they don't have to sort of you know, learn these crazy programs and all the rest of it. They know that the students can do it themselves. They need very little, you know, it's very intuitive. They need very little sort of tuition to get going. And they're also pushing the academic, their traditional type of, you know, reading themselves, which is going to yep. help them achieve more as students. Yeah. And Dom, you, you have a video uh, tutorial about the video book that, that I found really helpful and I can link it in the show notes for our listeners so they can get a better view, you know, a little bit more understanding about what that's about. But I really appreciate how you link it to them reading and then they make the video book and then you have them design a cover. So you're bringing all of these pieces together through the Adobe tools. That's It's really great work. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's really interesting because, you know, school is probably the you know, last big institution or organization that, you know, is really still to some extent resistant to, you know, the way that all other industries and organizations have gone. And it's, you know, it's a real shame because if we can harness the power of technology alongside what we've, what we know to be true in schools, then we really can accelerate it to the next level. And, you know, certainly this particular, you know, point in time that we're going through now is really, 
bringing some of those things, you know, right to the fore. Yeah, before we go any further, I did want to ask you, uh, you know, you're in London, England. What are, are many of the schools planning uh, for the fall as students are thinking about going back to school? Well, that is, you know, very much in the balance at the moment. It would seem mm-hmm. that, you know, what, what we've done, uh, what's happened in this summer term is that we've had three-year groups gone back in elementary school. So we've had, um, we call them reception year one and year six. So that would be roughly uh, five to six-year-olds. Mm, is it four to, roughly about four to six-year-olds going back and then your 10 and 11-year-olds go, go back. Uh, they've, they've all gone back. And what they've done is they've spread those children out amongst the schools mm-hmm. so that they're in their sort of, um, you know, in their bubbles of 15. Yeah. And um, so they can keep them socially sort of distanced. And then secondary schools haven't gone back at all. Uh, so one of the really interesting things about September is whether we'll be in a position to allow all students back again. I would say that it's probably unlikely. Yeah. And so one of the really interesting things that's happening at the moment is that a lot of um, schools started off and they were, you know, the, the sort of there was a lot of sort of trumpeting going on about, you know, how some schools had managed to move all of their teaching onto, you know, kind of Zoom or, you know, Google Meet mm-hmm. or Microsoft Teams or whatever it is. But they've managed to sort of replicate the normal timetable by uh, going to video lessons. But the, but the thing that that really showed up was that your typical uh, video lesson just to replace what would normally happen in the classroom, you know, that sort of teacher at the front, um, you know, everybody else listening was completely exhausting for a lot of teachers mm-hmm. and so one of the things that is happening now is we're sort of really starting to look towards a blended approach where you know maybe it's a video tutorials and they get set you know you know whatever system people are using whether it's google classrooms or uh, microsoft or whatever um and also and and maybe going down the sort of slightly more university tutor style route where you might set some homework and you know give some, you know, research links and, you know, record what you want them to do as a, as a video instruction or whatever. And then inviting students to, you know, have check-ins so that you can see what's going on. So that sort of, um, that sort of approach to, um, you know, learning during lockdown is really starting to change. And I'm doing a lot of um, video tutorials for lots of groups of schools where they might be, uh, you know, doing a poetry task, for example, and we might be saying, well, you know, here's an example of a poem that we might be producing, uh, you know, we, we might want you to do. Here's some questions that we want you to think about, you know, generate some ideas. And then we'll say, you know, go outside, you know, take your phone with you or take your sketchbook with you. Think about these questions as you're walking to your local park or whatever it is. Mm. And, you know, build up a sort of, you know, whether it's an image library or a sketch library and use that to create your poem. And then Come back and use your, uh, you know, your device, your Chromebook, your laptop, your phone, or whatever to create, um, you know, a voiceover poem, for example, using Spark Video. And so that kind of um, way of learning, which isn't, which is kind of going away from, you know, the idea of well, let's just take people sitting in rows and, and bring it online, and that, instead of doing it, doing it that way, saying, well, how can we maximize the uh, the situation we're in, you know, how can we get them to do stuff independently and 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 go down those creative routes and 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 bring independent thought into into play, and then also bring that back into a in, into a classroom situation. How do we, you know, collaborate? How do we give each other feedback? How do we, um, you know, improve on a group level, completely online? And that 
at the moment that is still really developing um, and I would be really interested to see what happens in September because I think a lot of schools are going to have to go down that blended route for quite some time. And if they follow uh, that example that you shared, I think they'll be in a good spot. What a, what a wonderful example, having students go into their community, take a walk, you know, get artifacts that they can feel, that they can mm. touch, and then using technology, like, like you uh, said, to sort of share that to a wider audience. What a great example. So yeah, for our listeners out there, I hope you you got a free, uh, wonderful example that you can utilize in the blended learning environment. I want to switch a bit to Lit Film Fest. Uh, for our listeners, can you describe what Lit Film Fest is? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's, um, I guess, if we start with the title, so it's literacy film in a festival format. And one of the things that we wanted to do was bring traditional literacy so in the UK, we call sort of, you know, English language arts, for example, we'll call that literacy. And it was a way to bring literacy to life using film. Uh, and we really wanted to, one of the, the, the festival idea came about was because we really wanted students to be able to share something, you know, within their community, you know, whether it's even just their school community or their, their class community, but just being able to produce things that don't just stay in a book, that they have an audience. And that was one of the things, you know, I was, um, I'm, you know, I studied English lit literature at university and I was, you know, really into acting and things like that. You know, I'm not really, uh, you know, particularly a film producer or anything like that. But one, when I was teaching, the thing that always brought the students to life more than anything else ever, no matter what it was, was always film, creating their own film, because there is something about that you know, there is a reason why, uh, you know, YouTube and Netflix are so incredibly successful. And it's because film as a medium is the most compelling one that we've got. You know, it's visual, it's audio, it's so experiential. And it just really, it absorbs you in a way that, yes, you can get really absorbed in a book, absolutely. But the absolute, the level of artistry that's involved in filmmaking is just so incredible. And there is something very compelling for students to actually see the product of the writing they do in their books on screen. And one of the things that I think is really, um, you know, one of the, the big issues I had when I was teaching was that I would, I would be putting students through their paces in all sorts of different ways, you know, getting to write in their books, and then they would give their books to me, I would mark it, and then we would turn the page and nobody would ever look at that ever again. And for a while, you know, students can, you know, maintain that kind of, they can maintain some kind of enthusiasm for that thing, that kind of work, especially if they like you as a teacher, you know, they will do it for you because you've, you've brought it to life for them and all the rest of it. But one thing that a student will never, ever forget is the feeling when they write something in a book, for example, and then they start to break it down and they start to improve it. And then they start to script something, you know. And it doesn't have to be, you know, like all dialogue, for example. I've done things where students have made political manifestos. I've done things where they've done cooking programs. I've done things where they've done like social change petitions, like change.org and things like that. And it's all about as soon as you can give a student a voice, that's when, some, that's when the act of writing really comes alive. Rather than it just being something that you mark and that they never see again, this is something... It, it suddenly becomes something that actually has meaning to it because somebody else is going to see it. And also somebody else will understand 
what it is that that student wants to say. So, you know, it could be something like a political manifesto. It could be something like a cooking program. But we've also done it with um, like adventure films, for example. So with Lit Film Fest, the very first project that we ever did, um, it was it was called Cindyan and Bones. And it was a play on Indiana Jones. <laughs> and and one of the things I did was I, I, I was teaching this particular class and, and it was a very lively class. And I really loved them. And they, they were such a sort of energetic bunch. And we got to the end of a year and we had about six weeks to go and we'd handed in our assessments to the head teacher and the head teacher said, oh, that's absolutely fantastic. You've you know, hit all your targets. You've exceeded um, academic progress that we expected for this class. And I turned around to the class and said, OK, well, we've got about four weeks to go here. What are we going to do? And they said, can we make a film? I said, OK, no problem. And what I did was I took all of the kind of main writing styles that are in the, um, you know, the English national curriculum. And I thought, how can I weave this into uh, a sort of adventure style film. And so I put it into, you know, a basic format. And then I said to the kids, right, let's let's start writing it. So it was, you know, things like uh, character descriptions. It was things like voiceover narratives for a journey that our heroes were going on. It was all about searches for lost treasure. They would do research about, you know, ancient Egypt and certain, you know, talismans and things like that. Um, and it all came together in this, uh, I think it was about 28 minutes in the end. And it was a film that they had written and they had edited and they had performed and then they had video edited all by themselves. And the film actually was really quite watchable <laughs> and, and which was surprising, you know, considering they were like eight, nine years old. And we showed it to, you know, a community of uh, you know, the the whole school community. So we invited certain classes into our classroom to watch it. And then we invited parents in and we had popcorn and things like that. And one of the things I did was um, I'd already handed in my assessments for the year was I thought while I was doing this project, the children were writing more than ever. And I was thinking, what's going on here? You know, this is I'm, I'm handing out a lot of new books here. <laughs> and, I, you know, I don't fancy marking all this work. What is going on? So I took the books and I thought, well, do you know what? At the end of this project, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assess them again. And they made more progress in that final four weeks than they'd made in the final four months of term. And I thought, that's really, really interesting. And I started to dig in. I started to ask them, well, why was it? Well, you know, why are you writing so much? What is it about this? And, they, and it was purely just on a level of fun. You know, I, 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 you know, used to pride myself on the fact that my classroom was a fun place to be and all the rest of it. And they said this was a level of engagement that they'd never, never, ever had before. You know, they were taking their own books home and saying, I need to finish this at home. This is my scene. This is my, you know, five minutes of fame in the spotlight. I need this to be as good as it can be. And it was and it was about a level of motivation that I'd never, ever experienced in the classroom before. And that was the that was the thing that kicked off Lit Film Fest. It was bringing learning to life in a way that really spoke to the students, which combined the best of traditional, also with the best of uh, digital, but also for an audience. Because the classroom is that place where, you know, so often we are expecting students to create work that nobody's ever going to see before. And they're never, ne never going to be able to, mm. you know, they're never going to see it and they're never going to appreciate it. And one of the things that I think is really powerful is giving students an audience. And that they are the three pillars of Lit Film Fest.
That's that's exciting to reminisce about that mm. project with you. I can I can imagine all of the excitement and the energy that was going on in your classroom. You you commented on a couple of, of pieces that really tapped into student engagement. But if I could ask you just to think about that, you know, that project again, what what were they? What were the things that made those students engaged and exciting, excited and energized? So I mean, if we if we take another project, for example, there was um, there was one that we did around politics, and you know, children generally, you know, aren't, aren't uh, particularly interested in in politics, and and you know, I, I don't blame them really when you look at the mess that some of the adults make it look. <laughs> and uh, but one of the things that um, they are really into is is people listening to what they say, because so often you know it'll be like, oh, well, you're just a child. What do you know? And one of the things that I really wanted to do was say, no, your voice is really important. And um, one of the things that is really quite easy to do in the UK is to is to engage with your local member of member of parliament. And we did that on a number of levels. And there was one uh, there was one particular project that I remember where children in this class were uh, using a project project called Change It. And it was um, I don't know if it's big in the US, but change.org. Is a, is a petition site which you know helps people you know bring about social change, and one of the things that they were uh, really incensed by was plastic pollution. So we said, okay, well, why don't you start a petition? You know, why don't we make a video which says to people, you know, this is what we think about plastic pollution. We think it's wrong. These are the things that we think need to change. These are the people that we want to engage with, and they engage with their local MP, and their local MP thought this was a great idea, and. And, you know, tweeted it out to his followers. And then suddenly people were signing this petition. And then by the end of this kind of six-week stretch, they had 20,000 signatures on their, uh, on their Change.org petition. And they thought, wow, this is amazing. Then Change.org themselves picked up on that. And they said, oh, wow, look at all these children getting all of these um, petitions. And in, in the end, they had something like just, just short of 110,000 signatures and they were congratulated in Parliament by the Minister for Education. They were featured on CNN. They were featured on YouTube Kids. They were um, written about in the Guardian newspaper. And that was the and that sort of level of excitement, the actual idea that something that they could do in their classroom that they go to every day could be seen by a larger audience, could be seen by people as they see as figures of authority, fig- figures of responsibility public figures and that their voices had been heard that was something that just transformed the idea of learning in their heads and that was you know that was one of the most memorable projects i think that we did um one of the other goals of lit film fest is to help future proof young learners what what does that mean to future proof yeah so it's an interesting one and that is one of the one of the things that is you know, coming up more and more, especially, you know, the longer schools are on lockdown, the more, you know, for example, you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers do a CEO survey survey every year. And it's one of the biggest um, CEO surveys in the world, if not the biggest. And um, back in, I think it was 2018, or it might have even been 2017, you know, that one of the surveys was all about, you know, what are CEOs looking for? What are they looking to hire? And it, this is where the sort of, you know, you know, the concept of the four C's where you have like communication, creativity, 
critical thinking and uh, collaboration. God, I nearly forgot that then. Was um, so they're they're your four C's, and they've you know they've been around, and they've been you know touted as you know these are the things that you know we think young people should learn. But you know when when the pressure of assessments in schools and you know the exams and all the rest of it when when that weighs so heavily on schools, schools rarely have the um, ability to turn around and say, well, can we do things differently? They rarely have that sort of chance. Uh, but one of the things that is really interesting about um, about lockdown is that finally, these things that came out in this PwC um, survey back in 2017 or 18, um, is starting to sort of really be seen as crucial. And creativity was the number one thing that CEOs wanted. That was the number one thing that they were looking to hire for. You also had communication skills. CEOs were talking endlessly, endlessly about the, the idea that students were coming to them or graduates were coming to them with excellent CVs. They had all the marks and all the rest of it, but they couldn't communicate on an effective level and they couldn't collaborate in a team. They hadn't worked in that way because they'd been used to this kind of, you know, factory style industrial model of you get on with your own work, you look after your exams, you look after your own revision, uh, do your work, you know, on your own, do your exam on your own. And when you go into the into the real world, the real world isn't like that. There is there are there are so few jobs that could mirror that um, that method of working that we do in school. One of them is probably academic, uh, university academic, like a professor. Uh, but, you know, how many people do, we, do you know that are a professor? I know two. Out of all of the people that I know, I know two. So that's a pretty low percentage. Whereas generally, when, you know, when we ask CEOs, what do you want from people? You know, what do you need? What skills do you need in your workforce? They will say the four Cs. They will start with creativity. They will go to... Um, uh, communication and collaboration, and they will think about critical thinking as well. And therefore, things that really we do very, or at least from my experience, or you know, perhaps you know, locally to me, you know, more in the UK, we do those things, those four things, really, really poorly. And Lit Film Festival is all about, and, and it, it it comes over into the work that we do at Adobe as well. The four C's are absolutely the thing that we're trying to push all of the time. But we also recognize that we have to do that in a way which also satisfi satisfies the sort of craving for assessment that the education system, um, you, know, for, you know, pushes on teachers. And so it was all about being able to do the four C's at the same time as um, exceeding any academic ex expectations on a traditional level. Dom, you have a, a book recently published, Literacy Beyond the Classroom. What do you hope your readers are able to get? from that book? So I think it's a really interesting question because I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think there's, there, are, um, there are two things that I want um, teachers to get from this book. One is time. I want them to get their time back. Hmm. I think one of the things that teachers really struggle with and one of the things that means that they rarely have that sort of uh, chance to be able to put their head above the parapet and have a look and have a look around and consider, you know, what is it that we're doing in our classrooms? Is it effective? Is it the best use of our time? So I want them to get their time back. And then I also want to give voice. And there is student voice. That is a really big one as well. But there's also teacher voice. Because I think, you know, one of the things that um, 
I think has happened, you know, certainly in the UK is the kind of, you know, the, the, the teacher voice has certainly been devalued over the years. I get the impression that it's quite similar in the US as well. You know, I hear mm -hmm. a lot of reports of, you know, teachers having to have more than one job because their own profession doesn't allow them to, you know, make ends meet. Yeah. You know, that, that is a crying shame because of all the, of all the jobs in the world, te the, the one of teacher is absolutely fundamentally the most important. If we look at society and think, you know, what a, you know, what, where is society going and what's happening? If there's a lack of critical thinking, it's usually because teachers haven't had the freedom to actually do what they want to do in the classroom. And so the book is all about, first of all, giving teachers time back. So what does that mean? Well, I think personally, it's unsustainable for a teacher to develop lessons on a daily basis that can always genuinely blow students away. Um, I, I don't think we need to, you know, I think we need to manage expectations. You know, we, we can't go in and produce, you know, uh, you know, the absolute best lesson you've ever seen every single day. But with a book like this, for example, that becomes more possible. You know, it's a book which um, gives step-by-step -step instructions. It gives uh, student examples, lesson plans, background, research on a number of different um, projects like um, uh, poetry around the theme of play, for example. That's one of our, that's one of our favorite ones. Um, how to bring meditation into the classroom, but also do that in the same, you know, they're all about literacy at the same time how to um, foster a love of reading in the classroom. How do you do that? Through video book reviews. How do you investigate things like plastic pollution? You know, how can we switch on our students so that they are more conscious consumers than you know, perhaps we've been as adults? How do we get them thinking more about food? You know, certainly you know, in the UK, the stats around childhood obesity are absolutely frightening. How do we get students um, developing a sort of a better relationship with food, thinking about it in a different way at the same time as, you know, improving their literacy. Always, every single project is about improving their literacy. Um, so what I want this book to do is to be able to set out um, lesson plans, student examples, um, video tutorials, which allow the teacher to say, okay, this is, is, is going to save me hours of time um, because one of the things that I think is really crucial is we need to give teachers time to think, not to work. We need to give teachers time to think. They need to be thinking about their class. They need to be thinking about the children in it. They need to be thinking how they can best respond to them. They need to be thinking about the, um, the social environment in their class. Do children feel supported? Do they feel encouraged? Do they feel motivated? And, I, and I, one of the things that I found through my um, teaching career was that generally teachers were too busy trying to keep up, you know, trying to keep that hamster wheel going, trying to keep their heads above water to really think about those uh, maybe more holistic, maybe um, things that you can't really assess. And they're the things that make a special teacher special when you can put that time and thought and care into the holistic things in your class. So that so this book, for example, is about the practical things. What um, what writing aids do you need? What sort of scaffolding um, um, printouts do you need? What student examples can you look at? All of those things are brought in one place, so the teacher can focus on being a teacher rather than a robot who needs to generate, you know, 
you know, hours and hours of content all the time. We do all the time. We do the content so that they can think about their class, think about the individual situations that they're that they're you know are unique to their class. And then the second thing there is about student voice. So I mentioned some of the uh, projects within the book. So there's a lot of stuff around um, environments. There's a lot of stuff around politics and food and um, reading and meditation and this idea of play as well. You know, I'm I'm a massive advocate of uh, play and education and how the more we can bring playful, um, you know, playful learning into into the classroom, the more our students are going to learn. You know, it's just a really really simple idea, but we also want to get students feeling that they are entitled to have an opinion, that they need to develop their own opinions, that to have independent thoughts, to think critically about, you know, whether it's thinking critically about the things that they buy or the choices they make on a daily basis and, and what that means to, you know, society as a whole, the environment as a whole. And it's about empowering students to, you know, make this the kind of world that, you know, we all want to live in. You know, there's a lot of um, you know, situations, you know, say like around climate change and world health and politics, you know, there's all sorts of things going on at the moment. And if we don't empower our students to take it to, uh, you know, take these kind of societal and environmental problems to a place where they are, you know, more sustainable, um, then, you know, we're going to be in an even stickier situation in the future. So this is all about, you know, making the leaders of the future. What ages is this book geared towards? Sort of all students it could apply to, or did you have a specific audience in mind? So we wrote the book with a kind of a sweet spot in mind, I guess, which is the, I guess the sweet spot would be the eight to 12 year old range. Um, but, you know, having said, because, and the reason why we did that is because we had to pitch the, um, the kind of templates and resources uh, and student examples around a particular age range. But certainly, you know, I have used these with, um, you know, six to 18 year olds and also, and, you know, any, any teacher with, you know, with experience and with skill can easily up level or, you know, simplify the things that are going on here. You know, certainly what, um, how a student of, you know, seven year olds might engage with politics is going to be very, very different to how a 17-year-old engage with, engages with politics. But the process is still mm-hmm. the same. And, you know, certainly in terms of literacy, you know, what, you know the kind of sentence structures you might be encouraging a, 70, a seven-year-old to use are going to be very, very uh, different to how a sophisticated 17-year-old writer might use. Um, but, yeah, that 8 to 12-year-old range is where we look, for, look, look to sort of um, this book to hit. But certainly it can, it can expand beyond that with the skill of a teacher. Now, thinking about curriculum, were you guided by the the England's uh, curriculum standards, or did you sort of pick out uh, curriculum objectives that you thought were most important? Yeah, that's an interesting question because um, one of the things that uh, you know the English national curriculum is you know that's um, you know obviously it has its own peculiarities and all the rest of it, and one of the things that um, happened, and it was actually with that Cindy Ann and Bones project that I was talking about. Was that we had um, we had quite a lot of uh, American and Canadian teachers using that regularly, and um, there was a there was a lady actually called uh, Lisa Nowakowski, 
who I uh, who, who got in touch once and said, "I absolutely love this in the classroom. Um, can I match this to um, the um, the Common Core standards?" And one of the really interesting things is that you know people often or teachers often say, "You know, oh, this project I couldn't use that because um, it's designed for the American curriculum, for example, or this one is designed for the Australian curriculum, or this one designed for the uh, you know the national curriculum of England and Wales, for example." But actually, when you strip it back and you look at the uh, objectives, the, you know, a a well-designed project, no matter where it is done, no matter what country or what curriculum it is designed for, always fits in to whatever curriculum you're you're working on. So, for example, you know, the all the common core um, objectives, for example, they were all hit in, in the projects that we're doing. And so. We have, you know, because it's published by a UK publisher, absolutely. England and Wales National Curriculum is where, is where we kind of match things up to. But in terms of, you know, would it be useful for an international audience? Absolutely, hands down. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, if any of the examples in there are similar to the ones you've been sharing throughout our conversation, then they could be applied, you know, to any context to encourage deep, deep learning. So, yeah, I'm excited to, to give it a read. Yeah, particularly on a on a writing front as well. I mean, mm. one of the one of the really curious things there is that um, you know American writers are hugely you know popular in the in the UK. UK writers are hugely popular in Australia. Australian writers hugely popular elsewhere. You know, good writing is good writing, isn't it? And that's what yeah. we're looking to get out of this: good writing and deep thought, like you say. Well, we're getting to the end of our conversation here. It's time for the final word. Dom, what would you like to say to close out this podcast? Oh, thanks very much. I really appreciate that. Um, This is a shout out to all the parents out there. One of the things that I am really conscious of, you know, in my role, you know, going around a lot of schools and also being in touch with a lot of teachers, but also with a lot of parents, things are really tough right now. And it doesn't necessarily look like it's going to get that much easier that much quicker so we know that a lot of parents are panicking about school and study time and I just want to say that there's there's a lot of hype around missing school and some of it is absolutely justified but a lot of it is also not so what I think is really important to say for any parents out there is let's focus on well-being first and foremost making sure that people you know young people feel connected to people enthusiastic about whatever projects are within their reach, you know, during this time. And for some that might involve technology, they might have access to it. Uh, For others, it won't, they won't have access to that, they won't have access to a device or to Wi Fi, for example. And let's just be clear that both of those things are okay. And one of the things that young people can always do during this, this time is they can read. And at the end of the day, the beauty of reading is where you know my journey as a teacher started. That's where that's what I studied at university. Uh, you know the my obsession with buying books, despite working you know with so much digital media, everything starts for me with with the written word. It always starts with books, and as long as a young person has access to books or magazines or newspapers at home or uh, you know through school or through a library or even just through a neighbour then no amount of money can help a child to, de- to develop academically through reading more than any other, regardless of any family income. So for all the parents out there, I think it's just time to relax, take a bit of perspective. And if there's one thing that you can do and do really, really well, it's getting your child to read.
Dom, this has been great. Thank you so, so much for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight. I appreciate all of those wonderful examples. To those of you listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Diving Deep EDU. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire.